we dive uh, back into uh, Philippians. This week we come to Philippians uh, verse 19 through 30. This is largely a, a review of, of what's gone on in the, in the, uh, in the preceding verses. Um, so if you've ever said, well, what does that look like or is that possible? You ever read, read the Bible and go, I don't think you could even really do that or, or the ideals of, of Scripture seem, seem, uh, seem lofty to say the least. We know that people who, who write, uh, write scripture, people like, like, uh, like Paul, we, it, it, we normalize the idea that, well, yeah, they can abide by it, but what about other people? We come to, to a section where Paul is going to lay out uh, uh, or, or talk about two men who follow the, the teachings of scripture and follow the teachings that he is that he has laid out for them. And so verse 19 says, Now I hope in the Lord to send to you Timothy, uh, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, this, know his proven character because he has served me in the gospel ministry like a son to a father. Therefore, I hope to send him to you as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him to you, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious." Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So you, uh, you may remember, you might not remember, so we'll, we'll click, quickly review. Uh, especially the beginning of chapter 2, Paul writes to them and says, if there's to be any encouragement, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, make his joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united in spirit, doing nothing out of selfish ambition. He writes to them and basically says, you need to think about others and you need to think about yourself less often. And when you do think, and as much as your, your, your brains are thinking, you should have the same mind. You should think in, in the same ways. And, and the heart of how, how they should think, the idea behind this was that their minds should be so set upon Christ that they, would, that they would think and they would do and they would behave in the, in the same ways. They would not be selfish, uh, they would not be conceited, but they would in humility consider others more important than, them, than themselves. Uh, that, is, that is a message that, that none of us really like to receive, at least on, the, um, uh, on, the, on any sort of deep level. We do not like to hear that we're not supposed to think of ourselves. We're, we don't like to be lectured about, about humility. Uh, but, but Paul says that in, in the beginning of chapter 2. And then he goes into to kind of an extrapolation or, a, or, a, or the ultimate example. So what would that look like? And he says in verse 5, adopt the same attitude of, as that of Christ Jesus. So 
what are the Philippians to be like? They are to, to, uh, they are to have the same mind. They are to have mercy and affection. They are to make Paul's joy complete. They're not supposed to be selfish or, or conceited. They're supposed to be humble. How do they do that? How, how can they do that? In, in verse 5, he says, well, you do that by adopting the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Uh, and when he had come as man, he humbled himself uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Uh, so he says, I want you to think about others as more important than yourself. I want you to be humble. I want you to have the same mind as one another. What, is, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus, and then he explains, remember that Jesus, who though he was God, did not did not cling to, to the expression of what it is to be God. In other words, he's God. He, he can do whatever he pleases. Uh, the Psalms say God is in the heavens. He does whatever he, he pleases. Jesus could have grasped onto that. He could have held on to that. He could have uh, exploited that, used that for his, his own gain to get out of the cross. Instead, he, he emptied himself or chose not to exploit that. He assumed the form of a servant. He became a human. Uh, he, uh, he took on humanity. He became as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. We've talked about this, this before, but it is a radical idea to consider that, that Jesus Christ uh, was, the, was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God from, from, from before the beginning. In other words, he was always existing. He was eternally existent, stretching forward and backwards and in every direction Jesus is and, and was. He was uh, equal with God. He was there at creation. He was the maker of humanity. He was the, he was the one who set humanity in its place. He was the one who put uh, humanity where it was on earth. He was also the one who was rebelled against. Uh, he was the, uh, uh, in as much as he is, he is very God of very God, co-equal with the Father. He was sinned against by man. He was rebelled against by man, the men, who, uh, the men and women whom he'd given everything, who he'd created everything for, who he'd put in the perfect situation, whom he'd put in the, in the garden, who he'd given paradise. The man and the woman decided they wanted to be him instead of worship him, so they rebelled against him. And that, that happened, but Jesus, instead of looking at that and going, I will destroy all of those people, I will wipe out the planet, I will get rid of them all, he chose to have mercy upon his elect, mercy upon, upon those he would call, mercy upon, uh, upon the earth, even uh, uh, Romans 8 says. And so Jesus becomes obedient, he humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, so the God of heaven steps out of heaven Onto earth, he steps out of, 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 of away from his throne. Uh, he steps uh, on onto a planet, and so you have the God of, of all creation entering in or walking upon creation in a way in which his uh, which his feet get dusty and his body gets dirty. Uh, and I say that just to emphasize this, that it is an amazing thing to consider that the God of heaven would, would even entangle himself in, in human issues and in human things. But he more than entangles himself. He doesn't just uh, care about our issues. He, he involves himself in the issues of humanity to the point of becoming human. And so... Uh, 
just continuing to review that. So Jesus becomes human. He becomes man. In verses, uh, uh, he becomes human. He becomes man. He dies on, on behalf of humanity. He, 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 he does not exploit the position that he was given, the position that was rightfully his, the position at the right hand of the Father. He does not do that. Continuing on in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, because Jesus has done this, dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with awe and uh, with fear and trembling. Uh, for it is God who is working in both to will and work according to, your, to his good purpose. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that, that God did not just... Uh, did not just save us and then set us on our own, but rather he, he, uh, he, he filled us with the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Spirit who worked on our behalf to make us more like him, to make, he, uh, to make us into uh, uh, the kind of people that, that we should be, to make us more like him. And we talked about how, how the natural outgrowth of knowing Jesus is to become more like him because of the, of the Spirit. So all of that... Is, that Paul says in, in, in chapter 2, and if you read that, it would seem to me to be a bit of a daunting, um, a daunting calling, a, a, a daunting ask by Paul. Not only are we to think of others more, uh, uh, as, as, as more important than ourselves, which is hard enough, not only are we to do nothing out of selfish ambition, uh, not only are we supposed to be humble, but our humility to, should go to the same level as that of Jesus Christ, which, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, that might be the most daunting concept in, in all of Scripture. We are, we are fallen. We are not Jesus. <laughs> we are not God. And so it's daunting, but he says, I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus. And we might start to think, is this even possible? Could anybody even do it? Well, yeah, maybe Paul did it, but Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul can do those kinds of things. What does it mean for, a, for, for me? And so I want to point out then that in verse 19 through 30, he comes back and he essentially tells the story. Uh, he's, he's tying together some loose ends, but in telling, tying together the loose ends, he, he talks about two men who exemplify everything he talked about in chapter 2. And although you know the name Timothy quite well because Paul has written letters to him and because he was discipled by Paul, Timothy is, is a young pastor. You probably do not know as well, or at least it does not roll off the tongue in the same way, Epaphroditus. You do not probably use that as much, and you probably don't know him as well. He certainly is not one of the authors of scriptures. He's just a dude. He's just a guy that is written about in Scripture. And I think this is important because what happens then is Paul is going to talk to, about two guys who are living out what it's talked about beforehand in chapter 2. So when he says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you as soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you, for I have no one else who is like-minded. Timothy, the first thing we see is Timothy is like-minded with Paul. The assumption, because Paul is the one who is writing the, the passage, he's already told us, essentially, to be like-minded with Christ. We know elsewhere that Paul says to people he's writing to, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So what mind does Timothy have about him? He has about him the mind of Christ. He's like-minded with Christ with Jesus, Paul. And if he's like-minded with Paul, he's like-minded with Jesus, which means that when it says in, in, uh, 
in chapter or in verse 5 adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus that Timothy apparently in, in, in at least some sense has adopted the same attitude as Jesus. He's applying what it, we were told to apply in, in verses 6 through, through 11. I, Timothy, for you, for I have no one else like-minded. Timothy is first off like-minded. So it is possible for us to be like-minded with, with Paul, like-minded with Timothy, like-minded with Jesus, and like-minded with, with each other. That is possible. Timothy is just a young, uh, a young pastor. He is not... Uh, he's not been at it for years and years and years. He's not one of the writers of Scripture. He's not an apostle. He's, he's not uh, physically walked with or seen Jesus. He has just heard the teachings of Paul. He sat under the teachings of Paul. He spent enough time with Paul that he's become like-minded with Paul. So we are to... he is like-minded, the encouragement for us then would we would also then be like-minded with each other. But if we're just like-minded with, with each other, that can be a, a, a pretty weak place to, uh, to place our hope, a pretty weak place to, to place our minds. In other words, uh, there's all kinds of ideas in the world and groupthink is common. Some people like groupthink. Groupthink makes me nervous. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but if we go to Pizza Hut, Together, uh, I would prefer to sit in the car until the pizza is ordered because the group think about how to order a pizza stresses me out. Like all of this talk, should we get pepperoni? I don't know. Should we get sausage? I don't know. Should we get onions? No. The answer is no. But, uh, but I would rather you got onions and I picked them off than me to have to sit through that, through that, through that group think. And so <coughs> all I'm saying is this, is that to be like-minded is a good step if you're like-minded about the right things and if your mind is on, on the right things. And so I want to remind us that we don't just want to become like-minded or group thinkers or, or people who take off on various ideas. We see this regularly in, in our society. Um, one person posts something on, on, on Facebook and then another person posts something uh, or reposts that thing on Facebook, then another person reposts it, and you get all kinds of things that go viral and they're not even close to being, being true. Uh, I remember once I was reading one where someone posted that, that, uh, that ice water was bad for you and they had a whole list of bad things that ice water did to you. The shocking thing was that this person lived in the Philippines where they probably did not have a lot of access to ice water, but if you could get ice water in the Philippines, it's like gold, man, because it is so hot all the time. But they were like, it does this, it does this. And so I, I looked it up on, on Snopes. Snopes is a nice little site. Someone sends you an uh, email forward and you're like, that doesn't seem true. Don't repost it. Check Snopes, please. Snopes tells whether uh, viral things on the internet are true. Looked it up. No, that's not true. But my point about that was is that a lot of people don't really check. They just sort of become like-minded. I heard this. And then if one person heard it and then two people heard it, all of a sudden five people have heard it, ten people have heard it, and it becomes groupthink. It's not true. And the same thing, we could be in danger of the, of the same thing. Just because we think the same way and say the same things does not make what we are thinking and saying true. That is why everything that came before this came before this. Paul, 
or Timothy is like-minded with Paul. Paul is, is, is one who pursues after Jesus. Paul is the one who has instructed us to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. The like-mindedness is based on the being like-minded with Jesus. We should be like-minded with each other in as much as all of us are pursuing Jesus together, in as much as Scripture is, is the authority, in as much as, as Scripture is the... Um, is, our, is, our, is the key place where we get, get our values. If you've been around Crosswinds enough, you know that we, we say this often time plus intentionality equals discipleship always. Time, and then I always back it up and say this, time equals discipleship. Anyone you spend time with, if you spend enough time with them, you will become like them and they will become like you. And so time equals discipleship. Christian discipleship is time plus intentionality. What is it that I am discipling a person to? What is it that I'm leading a person towards? What is it that I want a person to become? To be a disciple is, is to spend time intentionally with other disciples. Time plus intentionality equals discipleship always. I believed I talked about this a few weeks ago. I am a Drake. I became a Drake not through any intensive program of study, not through testing, not through book learning. I became a Drake because I was born into a Drake family. I grew up in a Drake family and I developed Drake habits and Drake thinking. And the same for you wherever you're coming from, whatever your last name is, whoever you are, you have a culture, you have a personhood, you have a something that you are and it came from where you came from because you grew up and you spent time in that situation. Same thing with Christian discipleship. A person becomes more like Jesus in as much as they hang around people who are like Jesus. And if we want, we do want to be like-minded, but our like-mindedness, if we want to be like Timothy, we need to be like-minded with Paul. Paul was like-minded with Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. The, the point of that then, how do we know that? We need our like-mindedness to be, be centered in and focused upon the teachings of this book. It is not group think. It is not group rule. It is not, is not simple democracy. We are, we are, we are children uh, of a great monarch, a great king. Uh, he is not looking for our input. He's not looking for our thought process. He is looking for our obedience in that sense. And so as children of the great monarch king Jesus, it is our job to begin to think like Jesus, to spend time with others who think like Jesus, and be like-minded with others who think like Jesus. So Paul says, says, For I have no one else who is like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Timothy, in becoming like-minded with Paul, is also applying what it says earlier. With, is there any encouragement in Christ? Any consolation of love? Any fellowship with the Spirit? Any affection and mercy? That first part of chapter 2, Timothy is thinking about their needs and is thinking about their interests. Everyone should look not for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's Philippians 2.4. In this verse, uh, Philippians 2.20, Timothy is carrying that out. How is he carrying that out? Well, he's like-minded with Paul, who is like-minded with Jesus. Jesus is transforming him in as much as he has been discipled by Paul, in as much as he has spent time with Paul, in as much as Paul has taught him the way in the mind of Jesus, he has learned to genuinely care about the interest of others over and above his own interest. It is possible. Timothy is just a young pastor, and, and, and I get that you say, well, he's a pastor, he was doing ministry, but he's just a dude, and he's not imbued with any more of the Holy Spirit. 
He's not imbued with any more of the blood of Christ. He's not given any more of that, the gift of the grace of God, than you are. He's a person just like you. And so Philippians 2, we see a guy who is apparently living it out, which tells us that it is possible. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. Then Paul says, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so that's a warning right? So there's a warning, right? There's a lot of people who, who want to show up. Apparently in, in our day and every other day, there are people who show up in, in the church and in the Christian culture who say, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I have the mind of... They say these sorts of things, but Paul says, this is the only one I have to send to you because most people just care about their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That is, a, that is an indictment upon upon. Uh, the, the church in the time of Paul, and it's an indictment upon the church in our, our own time. Uh, I don't want to go deep into that. I just want to remind you that it, that is there. If it happened in the time of Paul under churches that Paul founded, then it certainly can happen in our time under churches founded by the likes of me. Let us be careful and be aware. Verse 22 says this, But you know his proven character. That's Timothy again. See, Timothy's character has been proven. They know that his character matters. That, that, that people who are like-minded with Paul, who is like-minded with Christ, people who are like-minded with Christ, people who genuinely care about the interest of others, this is a sign that they have proven character. We need to get back to this concept of proven character. And I would simply ask, without going deep, is your character proven? Is your character known? Are you trusted? Are you known to care about the interest of others or only about yourself? Are you known to walk with Jesus in a way that is consistent? Are you known to do the things of Christ? And other people would say, I don't know a lot about things, but I know that that person, their character is proven. They're like Jesus. They do the things of Jesus. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son to a father. In other words, they saw Timothy serving Jesus and it proved his, proved his character. What is proving your character? Uh, what is proving my character in this time and this place might be the question we ask. Therefore, I hope to send him to you as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident, that, I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come, also, come soon. Uh, so that's, that's Timothy, a person who's living out all of chapter 2. But lest we go, yeah, but it's still Timothy. And he's still a pastor and there's still whole books of the Bible written to him, right? What then of Epaphroditus? Because we don't know Epaphroditus. Well, there's no, there's no first Epaphroditus. There's no second Epaphroditus. There's no epistle to Epaphroditus. There's no writing to my dear son in the faith, Epaphroditus, who pastors the church. There's none of that. Epaphroditus is a person who's serving with Paul, but history has largely forgotten him. And so what we need to discover, I feel like sometimes in our, in our walk with Jesus, what we need to rediscover and what we need to, to, to connect with is this reality, is that the majority of followers of Jesus Christ throughout history, people who have done great things, quote-unquote, for Jesus Christ throughout history, most of them, their names are lost to us. We do not know them and they have been forgotten. 
which is, by the way, a beautiful thing. I always like the, the quote from uh, Count Zinzendorf, who, who had grown up in wealth but renounced his wealth so that he could go be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always like the quote from him, which said this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. It's biblical. Elsewhere, you know, uh, John said, I must decrease that he might increase, all of those, those sorts of things. But I, I want to point out to you that the majority of people who followed Jesus throughout history were not writers of Scripture. They were not historic preachers, but they were average people. Everyday. And so Epaphroditus is a gospel minister, but we don't know his name the same way as we know those other names. But I considered, verse 25, but I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Now, as far as people we've never heard of go, that's a pretty impressive byline, right? A pretty impressive description. But I considered it necessary to send to Epaphroditus, who is he? Paul's brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. How great would it be to have something like that, that spoken of us, right? And my goal, by the way, is to have something like that spoken of me, but not so that I can be known, but only as a check against this reality that when I pass from this earth and when my time here is done, will I have been like-minded with Christ? Will I have walked with him? Will I have followed him? Will I have been faithful to him? What We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What will the legacy that I leave to my children, what will the legacy I leave to those behind me, what will the legacy I leave to my community be? I hope that it is that I was a brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as a messenger of the gospel and a minister to the needs of others. I hope that, I am, that those things can be said of me, and I hope to be as little known as Epaphroditus so that Jesus might be, be known more. Epaphroditus was, um, was a messenger. He carried messages between the Philippian church and, and, and Paul. So in carrying, that's when Paul says, he was your messenger and ministered to my need. Epaphroditus goes to Paul to, to, um, to bring messages. And somehow along the way, we don't know exactly how, but along the way, it's a six-week journey. Somehow in the six-week journey, he gets sick. Since he is longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. So Epaphroditus uh, his job uh, is, to, is to be a servant and tend to the needs of Paul. And he's also a, a delivery person. And I point that out because those are just sort of average sorts of things that someone might do. But Epaphroditus, in bringing the message to Paul, uh, gets sick on, on the way. The Philippian church loves Epaphroditus so much, he's one of them. They hear about it and they become distressed because they hear he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick, Paul says that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus is bringing a message to Paul. Somehow he gets sick. He gets so sick, he almost dies. The church at Philippi hears that, he, that he's sick. They get worried. They have sorrow. Paul says, but God had mercy on him. He didn't let Epaphroditus die so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, I'm already in prison. I can't take Epaphroditus dying too. For this reason, verse 28, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. 
Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Uh, lacking in your ministry to me there does not mean that, 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 that there was a deficiency. It just means that Epaphroditus completed the ministry that they, they were to bring to him. So Epaphroditus is just an average guy. He's a messenger. He's a servant. And, and the descriptions of this messenger servant are, are epic kind of descriptions. They're epic descriptions of one who, of, of just an average everyday guy who, who apparently in the grand scheme of things, the things he were doing, was doing were, were grand and were epic. That goes back to this. He's a delivery boy, guys. He's a messenger like that. A delivery boy and a servant. What does he do? Well, he's a co-worker and a fellow soldier, as well as a messenger and minister to my need. What, is it, what happens to him to get a message to Paul, to bring a message to Paul? He almost dies. He, he, he's so committed to the work of Jesus that, that he nearly dies. However, God has mercy on him, allows him to live. But then Paul says in verse 29, Therefore, welcome in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Why? Because he became close to the de death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. In other words, Epaphroditus nearly dies because he was not willing that Paul would not be served. We don't know what kinds of things that he, that he did, but he probably did messenger type things. He probably did, did servant sort of things. We don't have any record of Epaphroditus setting up... Um, uh, planting churches. We don't have any record of Epaphroditus leading a church. We don't have any record of Epaphroditus doing grand uh, evangelistic services. We don't have any record of Epaphroditus casting out demons. We don't have any record of Epaphroditus healing people. We don't have any record of that. What did Epaphroditus do? He served and he was a messenger. He was a servant. And so my, my point here is that if a servant right? Someone who's not up front, someone who, who's not healing, someone who, who's not an apostle. If a servant can be described as a, as, as a brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, what does that mean for us, right? It, it, it changes everything, and it should change how you think about what it is you do in, in everyday work. Paul is giving in chapter 2 this grand description of what a Christian should be like. And if a Christian looked like what we read in chapter 2, it would be a radical world-changing thing. And I'm here to tell you that it would be radical and world-changing and none of you would have to go out and change your profession, right? If you want to change the world, sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes we, we get into this thinking about changing the world. I want to change the world. How will I do it? Well, the way I'm going to change the world is I should be a missionary to that place, or I should quit my job and be a missionary over there. We, we think in those terms, or we think if we're going to change the world or impact people for the gospel, that we have to be a pastor, or, or we have to be some... That's not what we see here. Epaphroditus is a messenger and a servant. And maybe in service to God, that, that reflects all of, of chapter 2 and reflects what Paul talks about in chapter 2, that service to God becomes a radical thing that changes the world. In other words, you don't have to change what you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're, most of you are going to go to a job. What if your job is your calling as a co-worker and fellow soldier 
Not only with Crossman's, but with, with all of the church throughout history and people like Paul. What if what you have on tap for tomorrow in, in raising your, your children, interacting with your neighbors, talking to your family, going to your job, what if that is your job as a fellow soldier? And so what I, all I really wanted to emphasize to you this morning is, is this, is that Chapter 2 is some of the most sweeping, well-known, beautiful theological prose. And, and sometimes when you read that and you read how it is, you read it and you're impacted by the beauty of it, by the beauty of the words. But I don't want us to be impacted by the beauty of the words and not changed by, by the reality of the call of what we're being asked to do, how we're being asked to be. It is beautiful. It is sweeping. It is not impossible. It is actually Paul saying that we should actually be like that. It's an actual call. So when it says you should esteem others better than yourself, no, you should really think of others better than yourself. When it says that, 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 that there should be a consolation and joy in being brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be a consolation and joy in that. When it says that our attitudes should be the same as Christ Jesus, our attitudes should be the same as Christ Jesus. All of those things that, that are in there, when it says that our Savior endured even death on a cross, He was our Savior, very God of very God. God from the beginning, the second person, the Trinity, born as a man to the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, went to a cross and died, though he was God. That is sweeping, theological, beautiful prose. But it is also dusty, earthy, realistic call. Like, if you're going to and I'm going to continue to talk about myself as a follower of Jesus, then what I really need to do is follow Jesus. And when I encounter stuff in Scripture, like chapter 2, and it calls me to do something, what I need to do is do what it says in Scripture. On my own? No. Because of the goodness of me? No. Because I have the ability in me? No. Because I've been redeemed by Jesus Christ and because the Holy Spirit is at work in me, transforming me and making me more like Him. That God is working in me to will and to work according to His purpose. It's possible. Timothy, sure, there's been books of the Bible written to him, but Epaphroditus is just a messenger and a servant, and he lived out the ideals. He lived out the teaching of Philippians chapter 2. Listen, Epaphroditus is probably slightly more known than any of us will ever be. Let's be honest about that. But he's not that known. Right? He's just an average servant who followed Jesus. How radical would it be if we decided we were going to be average servants who followed Jesus as well? Pray with me. Jesus, you're good. You're great. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You stepped out of heaven, became a man to rescue rebels to your will, rebels to your way, to conform our will to yours, to make us like you so that we could walk with you, talk with you, know you. Lord God, may we, may we become humble servants of you. May we do the things that scripture calls us to do. May we be transformed and may we begin to look like, like uh, Philippians tells us to look. Thank you for... The example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, thank you especially for the Holy Spirit that caused them to be able to follow you. May your spirit work in us in the same way. In your name, amen.